All right, well, welcome back in, everyone. After the 2019 NFL Draft is done, the Buffalo Bills have a brand-new draft class and an undrafted draft class, I guess, if we can term it that way. Uh, but the Bills have brand-new players to discuss and how the roster kind of all melds together, and there's plenty of uh, ways to kind of go about it. You know, we, we discussed Ed Oliver, we discussed Cody Ford, we discussed Devin Singletary, but I think today... Uh, Matthew Fairburn is one that uh, we kind of take a, a look at this roster on the whole and and some of the the ways to kind of slice it up because right after the draft I think it's one of the best times to recalibrate and figure out okay what is this team going to be before we actually get a chance to see it in a few weeks for the start of uh, OTAs but I guess where the jumping off point is is um, are the Bills markedly better than what what we saw them to be uh, ahead of the draft and I think the answer to that question is a uh, a, a calculatedly uh, optimistic yes how about you yeah I, th- I think they addressed their biggest need and so it's hard to say they got they didn't get better because I think Ed Oliver will make the type of impact in year one that will make everybody on that defensive line better. It'll make Jerry Hughes better. It'll make, you know, Starlo Lele better. It'll make Harrison Phillips better. I think the whole rotation is going to work better with a disruptive three technique like Ed Oliver. And then the offensive line, sort of the same thing with Cody Ford. He only adds to the competition. Maybe it pushes Deion Dawkins inside to guard eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, if Ty and Seke can beat him out. So I think for the most part, you looked at two areas that they still needed to address and you can't address everything in one draft, which they didn't, but two key areas to me were both lines that still needed, you know, long-term starting caliber talent. And I think they, they got that with their first two picks. Now they, they didn't get a wide receiver and, you know, they, they didn't get, you know, a, another cornerback but Mm -hmm. outside of that I think you'd have to be pretty happy with what they brought in because I think it boosts the level of competition pretty much at at the most important needs on the roster on those two um, positions just by themselves I think they insulated themselves at both of those spots through free agency in the event that because in their mind it might not have been totally high up on the priority list because there are three main uh, players in this that they wanted to find out about that being Zay Jones, Robert Foster and Levi Wallace. And if you were to draft and not to say that this totally would have gotten them away from drafting one of these positions, if there was a player there that was really just standing out in their minds and let's say in like the third round or something like that, but there wasn't, but they still feel like they want to find out about those three young players. And this is the way to do it. Not only by way of getting playing time in 2019, but even earlier than that, in the spring, in the summer, how do they compete? How do they uh, respond to some adversity of people being added to the position? They're not going to be handed those starting jobs like they were last year. In the case of Zay Jones, I think he's probably safer than the other two because he's got a couple of years of experience, but Robert Foster needs to go out and earn playing time. I know what he did in the second half of last year, but it he, he has to continue to show those signs of promise if he wants to have a legitimate role on the team same thing with Levi Wallace they brought in two veterans as um, as I guess uh, some relief if he has a bit of a sophomore slump and isn't able to show the same things or isn't able isn't able to show the uh, the progress that he made and and continuing to be an ascending player and for them having the safety of Kevin Johnson and EJ Gaines is worth it, but you also want to find out if, if those guys can play because they can make a, a long-term impact on your roster and make it so that you don't have to use um, vital draft resources in the future or maybe even free agent dollars in the future to try and address those spots. So I, 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 don't, I wasn't totally um, shocked that they didn't add one of those two spots, but, I mean, by and large, if, if there was like a, let's say, I don't know, the one guy we were talking about, Jawan Williams, was was out there in, let's say, the third round. I think they would have struck for it. 
Uh, same thing with one of those higher up wide receivers like a maybe a DK Metcalf. If he was there at 74, maybe they they do it. Same thing with AJ Brown. Um, you know, I, I just think there's there's a they they want to find out, but they weren't uh, taking themselves out of that mix by any means. Yeah, I think if you're a wide receiver on this roster, you feel better mm-hmm. uh, waking up on Sunday morning, even with the addition of David Sills and Nick Easley, who are you know two pretty decent undrafted guys they added. Slot guy and Easley. Yeah, and you know I think you when you look at the big picture of the roster, if you're a guy like Ray Ray McLeod or Cam Phillips or Isaiah McKenzie, these guys that now have a year in the system, a little bit less than that for Isaiah McKenzie, then now you are you have at least a path to the roster. Not an easy one, but a path to the roster. So the not drafting a wide receiver goes even deeper than just Robert Foster and Zay Jones, who will get every opportunity to, you know, assume similar roles to what they had last year. But, you know, outside of, I mean, you would think John Brown and Cole Beasley are, safe to make the roster given oh, yeah. the money they invested. Yeah. They're not long-term, you know, locks by any means, but for 2019 they should be safe. You could probably say the same about Andre Roberts, uh not yeah. necessarily, but probably. I think he's and probably good. And then Robert Foster and Zay Jones are probably in that bucket as well. So that gives you 5. So if you keep 6, you know, you're talking about a big group of guys that includes oh, yeah. Isaiah McKenzie, Ray Ray McLeod, Nick Easley, Cam Phillips, Victor Bolden, you know, all Damari these guys. Scott, Damari Demar- Scott, Scott, Duke and, Williams, Scott and Bolden were both on the active roster last year. Little known fact. Right. And so again, guys that have time in the system and I think, you know, that could, we'll see how it shakes out. I think they probably will keep six. Yeah, me too. And so who will that sixth guy be? It, it's not, I know people have fallen head over heels for Duke Williams and, I understand why, because he's a former big-time recruit who could have been a high draft pick if not for some off-field stuff. He, he's he got a lot of physical tools to get excited about, but he has no track record and mm-hmm. no time in the system mm-hmm. as opposed to you know some of these other guys uh, that we mentioned. And even, you know, you look at people are going to get excited about David Sills, and I think there's probably reason to. He could have been a day three pick uh, on a lot of teams boards. So, you know, to get a guy like that to come in and compete, he's a red zone guy. He's a vertical threat. You're probably looking for a little something different, which is why I think maybe, you know, if you're Isaiah McKenzie, Ray Ray McLeod, or, you know, Cam Phillips is, you know, probably falls into that boat as well of guys that are, you know, are they going to bring something different to the table that, that they don't ever already have, you know, same goals goes for, Victor Bolden and Damari Scott. I mean, so one of those guys is going to have to have a huge spring and summer. And that's a long list of names we just read off. And all guys that, you know, have been hanging around and have shown some things. Cam Phillips looked good in camp last year. I don't know if there's been a time where Ray Ray McLeod has looked particularly good, but he's a rookie, you know, late uh, round pick. Rookie minicamp, he looked okay. Right. So, you know, he probably has um you know some some ground to make up but some of these guys have have shown flashes so i think you've probably got your top five receivers set if they had drafted another receiver that was it and you're cam phillips or ray ray mcleod or isaiah mckenzie you're sitting there thinking man this is this is going to be a long summer just to not make the team Mm -hmm. so uh you know a little bit of life for those guys and always a fun competition to watch because those guys do get on the field a lot late in games. And, you know, when you're throwing the ball around, you never know who's going to make a play. Last year it was Robert Foster, and that's what ended up, you know, earning him a roster spot. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's not an easy path to the roster for any of those guys. Not nearly as easy as it was a year ago, but now there's there's that sliver of hope because they didn't pick someone. I know David Sills the fifth or David Sills V, however we want to say it. Well, let's just go with Sills V because that that one's fun. Um, I know he's the odds-on favorite to be the uh, the fan favorite. Don't discount Nick Easley for that. Uh, oh yeah, Nick Easley will be well, and I I guess it it's probably going to get a lot of balls on... thrown to him in, in the in the preseason. That's for sure. When I kind of tried to break it down on a depth chart. You know, 
I'll be interested to see when we actually see these guys on the field who's playing where. Mm-hmm. But the path to the roster is probably behind Zay Jones at X receiver because most of these guys fit the profile of more of a, a Z receiver. And so you're John Brown, Robert Foster, Cam Phillips. And there's a lot of slot guys on this roster. Cole Beasley, Andre Roberts, Isaiah McKenzie, Ray Ray McLeod, and then Nick Easley, who you mentioned. So these undrafted guys, it's always the new undrafted guy that becomes the favorite. You forget about mm-hmm. a Cam Phillips who, you know, undrafted and didn't garner a ton of attention necessarily last summer because Robert Foster was the flashier of the two. Um, but, you know, the guys that have been there and know the playbook are naturally going to get off to a quicker start because they'll have a much easier time developing rapport with quarterbacks who they were working with, you know, all last year during, you know, well, considering the quarterback got there a little late, not all last year, but you have that established rapport and you have the knowledge of the playbook to make plays in the spring and early part of summer. So I don't know. I, I don't know if there is, you know, an undrafted rookie who can make the roster, but David Sills might've been the best undrafted rookie receiver or one of them. Mm-hmm. And he chose to come here. And the reason guys do that is for depth chart purposes. His yeah. agent tweeted out that he's got a strong chance to start in 2019, oh, which is my uh, goodness. quite aggressive. Yeah. But your dude, still, just your guy just went undrafted. I mean, I want to see the exact wording. It was the hell is he thinking? It there? was, has an excellent chance to start. For the Buffalo Bills, uh, Lee that, Steinberg that, is the agent. I mean, Lee is always like that. I mean, he he's been that way for all of his clients. I mean, some of them he's been really right about it. Like Patrick Mahomes. I remember before he even got drafted, he was he was talking about how this guy was going to be the next big thing in the NFL, and of course he's going to believe heartily in his client. But man, was he right on that one. However, that doesn't mean David Sills v as an undrafted free agent receiver is going to have a similar impact if he has an impact at all if he even makes the team at all for the Buffalo Bills and that's that's another issue with that entirely but i i'm going to be really interested to see how Robert Foster reacts to all of this because no longer does he have a starting spot and that John Brown and Cole Beasley they're going to be two of the top 3 i would assume Zay Jones is the other one which means Robert Foster becomes more of a WR4 which is probably, if we're looking at long-term potential, where he's best at because he's really good at a deep route. He's very good change of pace guy and um, doesn't run the entire route tree particularly well. But even even at that, what I'm most interested to see now that they have two new players and he's going to have to fight for that playing time again is how he responds. Honestly, that was that was the biggest. thing the biggest detriment to him last year was how he responded early in the season when he was given these chances and then they were slowly but surely taken away from him uh, on a Sunday level. And it, it just, he just totally turned himself off and that's what wound up getting him cut. And now to his credit, once they cut him, he responded incredibly well to the point in which he was completely motivated. But what is his motivation level like? That's I don't have to put this to question with with Zay Jones because I always know that he's going to work his ass off because that's his that's his uh um I guess that's his reputation at, through 2 years in Buffalo. But with Robert Foster, there was a good month month and a half where you're like, dude, what are you doing? Like do you want it or don't you? And I I think the Bills need to figure that out with him too. Yeah, and it's a a heavy lifting job for Chad Hall um, in his first legitimate crack at a wide oh, receiver yeah. coach. Foster job. was Rubisky's guy. And so I wonder, you know, if, you know, that's a, a big, you know, leap in terms of where some of these guys need to get to. Robert Foster, probably chief among them. Zay Jones as well. You need these guys to develop. You need one of that long list of names I mentioned to develop into a potential sixth receiver on the roster. But more importantly, you need guys like Robert Foster and Zay Jones to take the next step. And it's not a bad thing if Robert Foster is just a solid number four, Mm -hmm. because they're putting four wide receivers on the field pretty often these days. 
um, you know, towards the end of last season, that was something they did to make Josh Allen a little bit more comfortable and it seemed to work. So having a fourth guy that can stretch the field the way Foster can is a good thing. And, you know, or having your, you know, fifth receiver be Andre Roberts, it's a much better spot than they were in a year ago. Now, it doesn't mean they're in a great situation at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I still think, you know, one of those five guys at the top needs to emerge as something of a go-to threat. That doesn't mean they need to be a, a number one wide receiver. It doesn't mean they need to have 1,500 yards, but you need somebody that you can rely on, on, you know, third and seven, third and eight, uh, somebody that can just consistently week in and week out produce the idea that they'll take turns. I don't know if it's realistic, quite frankly. And I know Cole Beasley's probably going to be that go-to guy on the, you know, third down when it's short yardage. He but might lead the team in receptions this year. I, you know, I, I would think so, but at the same time, it's going to be a big question for Josh Allen because True. those short throws were not his strength a year ago and they were not his strength in college either. So, you know, I wonder how that, those rhythm timing throws between the two of them, that might take some time for them to get on the same page and two. work together, but... To Allen's credit, he did get better at it as the year went along. The early season stuff was not good, though. And Beasley can work that intermediate area as Mm -hmm. well. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie was a big part of the offense down the stretch last year, and I would expect Beasley to be an upgrade. And uh, I thought Josh Allen did a pretty good job of of working with McKenzie, who Mm -hmm. was kind of of thrown in on the fly. So having an offseason with Beasley, he relies on a lot of, reading the coverage and, you know, timing type of stuff. So that'll be a test for Josh Allen. But one of these guys just has to be a a bit of a go-to guy, whether it's a wide receiver one in name or not, doesn't really matter. But, you know, that's where the development comes in and the timing, having a whole off season. Last year, if you remember, the wide receiver room by mid-season was almost completely different than it was at the beginning of the season. So, and especially different than it was, in training camp. So I guess the hope would be stability, uh, provided none of these guys get hurt, which is probably unrealistic. You know, one, one of them will probably get hurt, uh, at some point, but you know, that's where you're trying to answer questions about those younger guys that are fighting for one spot, essentially to say, are any of these guys NFL players or do we need to, you know, look at other roster cuts, whether it's before camp or after camp, to find uh, another body. Here's an exercise. Can you name the six receivers that made the opening day roster for the Buffalo Bills? Kelvin Benjamin. Yeah, that's one. Zay Jones. That's two. That's Robert the Foster. Yep, that's three. Ray Ray McLeod. That's four. Austin Prohl was a practice squad, right? Correct, yes. Uh, Cam Phillips was on the practice squad. Also true. Um... I know there's a big one I'm missing. Corey Coleman did not. Got cut. He got cut in place of Robert Foster. There's a couple big ones I'm missing. Mm-hmm. I, I have yes, there are. Um, and, yeah, again, it's not the same guys that, that finished the year because Isaiah McKenzie was a midseason addition. Mm-hmm. Um, there's somebody opposite Kelvin Benjamin. I'm trying to work my way around the locker room because that's usually my – Best shot at remembering these things. Well, Victor Bolden was added in the season. Damari Scott was added in the season. And so, I mean, Cam Phillips at one point was added in the season. But he had one catch. You're missing two. And don't look at my laptop. Where did they go to college? Ooh. Uh, One went to uh, TCU, I believe. (laughs) This This is shocking. Here, this is this is the exact point that they completely revamped the entire wide receiver room. Um, the other one, I think he went to a smaller school. Uh, TCU. Yeah, that sounds like a made-up person. Because Colby Listonby is the only you, TCU guy. Do you I want remember. me? Do you want me to bring it? Yeah. Andre Holmes. Ah, uh, that's right. And Jeremy Curley. Indeed. That's the TCU boy. Yeah. 
So forget Andre Holmes was the one I knew. Of. I knew there was a guy that hung around for a long time. But Jeremy Curley was there for one week, and then see ya. Yep, then Good. he was cut. Never Goodbye. To be brought back so. because they wanted to open up room for Ray Ray. And that's where that I would say well. that. And we'll see. I think they'll have a different approach this year to the roster. They were very much leaning towards young players yes, last year. totally. Because they knew they weren't going to be good. But that, that speaks to the point of we can't assume that Andre Roberts is on the team. Uh, and we can't assume that... Well, we, I still think we can assume John Brown and Cole Beasley. But I don't think you can assume... Andre Roberts and maybe not even Robert Foster because yeah I'll agree to that Zay Jones probably because I'd be surprised if he laid an egg in training camp but Robert Foster you know had an up and down camp so he's prone to that as you mentioned so but Andre Roberts being the big one looking at what they did with Jeremy Curley who everybody assumed oh he'll be an easy bet now the difference is I think that Andre Roberts is probably going to be their main option as a return man yeah and that should help them out. But still, you know, I think they they do honor the idea of legitimate competition. And so if somebody else steps up and, and earns a spot, but they, they really wanted to address that return man spot. And so that might be Andre Roberts's safety net there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into the case of Deion Dawkins, because I think this is the... Outside of LaShawn McCoy and the receivers that we brought up, I think Deion Dawkins is a major topic of conversation amongst Bills fans that really look at this roster and go, okay, where does he fit? And the one, you know, right after the draft concluded, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott came out and we asked them whether or not, where Ty Insecki and Deion Dawkins fits into all of this now that Cody Ford, in their opinion, is... His first position is right tackle, and that will be the position that he gets a chance to go win a starting job. It also jump sounds like his second position is guard. Yes, because not left Brandon tackle. Brandon Bean said he doesn't think that Cody Ford can play left tackle. So, so. Uh, odds are, if they believe in him to to be a right tackle, he's probably going to be the starting right tackle, even if they don't want to admit it right now. He's, pre- I know, I know he needs to earn it, but it's probably going to happen, which means to me that. Left tackle becomes a battle between Deion Dawkins and Ty Insecki. And I think where I want to start the conversation, because Deion Dawkins, I think in some publication, forgive me for not remembering where he, where or who he said this to, but um, he said, I'll play center, I'll be, I'll be a backup. That was uh, Buffalo News, Vic Carucci. Yeah, Vic did it. Um, he he keeps he keeps saying that he'll do a little bit of anything, which is a bit of a a tune change from what he was when he first got in the league because he kept saying, like I remember one one time when Nathan Peterman was about to become the starter in in uh, against the Chargers and he's like you know when we first got here I told him that one day he's going to be the quarterback and I'm going to be the guy protecting his blind side and that's always just kind of stuck front of mind because. A, Peterman obviously blew up. And then B, Dawkins has not done very well at left tackle. So if he's willing... Well, he was not wrong. No, he's not wrong. At least for a little point, point in time. His tune has changed to the point where he's willing to do much of anything. And then Brandon Bean on WGR, I think yesterday, being Monday, um, said that they weren't opposed to moving him inside to guard. Which is the first time i believe that they have said that uh, bean has said that so i don't know if dawkins doesn't show something quickly into camp i think that hook can be quick and they might throw him over to guard to just start that process because they they need to salvage his third season he is a second round pick they traded up to get him they traded up ahead of carolina who picked taylor moton who's their right tackle of the now and the future and has done really well there and they've gotten, they haven't really gotten great return out of Dawkins. So they need to salvage it somehow and create, if he's not a part of their long-term vision, create some value for him somehow if they want to deal him. So that's why he's got to bring his game and quickly because Ty Inseki, this is his first real crack at a starting job in the NFL. You know he's not going to let it slip up. Ty Inseki's also making enough money to where you think 
he's probably going to be in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Not for sure, but I wouldn't be blown away if we walk out there for the first time that they get to do team drills this spring and and Seke's at left tackle and mm-hmm. Dawkins is at guard somewhere. Yeah. Or if he's... because And this was what I asked Sean McDermott after the draft, and it's a question that you know, still is kind of sticking in my mind, is if you want to move Deion Dawkins to guard, the earlier you do it, the better. Yes. He's going to be learning something that will be very new to him, very different than what he's been doing for the last two years. And so the quicker you get him into that spot, getting those reps, finding out whether he can, you know, actually, you know, play that position, the better off you're going to be. Is he going to be your swing tackle or is he going to be a guard? You need to find that out quickly. It's not easy to do in the spring because there's no contact and there's no um, real way to find out how he and Ty and Seke look, but Ty and Seke has a much better history at left tackle than Deion Dawkins. He played really well there in spurts for, for Washington. He hasn't had a full season of work the way that Deion Dawkins has, but he's pretty solid and he's not a guard. And so if you think that Deion Dawkins has that flexibility, now's the time to find out. I don't think you wait until two weeks into training camp and then say, okay, now let's try Deion Dawkins at guard because he lost out to Ty Seke. I think you have to do it sooner rather than later because if you don't, then you're just resigned to the fact that Deion Dawkins is not going to be one of your best five because Mm -hmm. if you don't set him up to win a guard spot, he's not just going to magically move over there and, you know, be great at guard uh, without getting some reps. And so I don't know that he's, it's not as if it's last year when there were basically wide open spots. I don't think you can throw him in there a couple weeks into camp and say, all right, now try to make up the ground on Quentin Spain, Quentin Spain, yeah. John Feliciano, Spencer Long, or Wyatt Teller, for that matter. So to me, if you're going to do it, do it sooner rather than later. And I think that's part of what Sean McDermott was alluding to, saying, you know, he and Bobby Johnson and maybe even Brandon Bean gets involved. You sit down, you look at these guys, and you say, where do they play best? Because we've, you know, they've just added a ton of guys to this offensive line room. You're looking, obviously, for the best five, mm-hmm. but Spencer Long, the right guard, might not be as good as Spencer Long, the left guard. Spencer Long, the right guard, might be one of your best five. Spencer Long, the left guard, might be eighth best. Mm-hmm. And Deion Dawkins, the left tackle, might be sixth best. Deion Dawkins, the left guard, might be 10th best for all you know mm-hmm. until you play him there. So just because he's the sixth best at left tackle doesn't mean you put him inside the guard and he holds that same you know value for you. So finding that out sooner rather than later, not necessarily finding your combo of five, but finding out where these guys play soon enough so that they can get reps, I think is important. Maybe less so between the two guard spots, really important for a guy that's maybe switching from tackle to guard. If I had to guess with what we see when we first come out to OTAs in, in uh, later this month, or not later this month, later in May, it feels like this month because the draft is over, um, I would think that the initial rep would have Dawkins at left tackle just to give the kid some confidence to see hey, if he's a second rounder, give him at least that little satisfaction that he has the opening reps there. And then from left to right, Dawkins, I'm guessing Quentin Spain because he started for the Titans for a long time at left guard, Morse at center, right guard, I'm guessing Spencer Long, and then right tackle would be Ty Inseki just for the first because Cody Ford's a rookie, obviously. Uh, but then once they go through some rotations, I would not be surprised to see with the first team, Inseki at left, Ford at right, and then with the second team, have a flip-flop somewhere of Dawkins playing inside at guard just to give him reps at different spots just to see if if he can do it. Because, like you said, you need to find out if guard is a possibility for him. Because if it is, then you have effectively solved two positions by drafting Cody Ford. Because that shifts Ty Inseki over to left tackle, and now... Let's say Deion Dawkins can play left guard since he's been comfortable with the left side the last couple of years. Or right guard. Whatever. 
find a spot for him and whichever one he's most comfortable with and then figure it out from there. Because the more time you waste in not figuring out that answer, the more potential you are wasting away a former second round pick of yours. So Dawkins is like, in terms of pressure for the 2019 season or the most approved in the 2019 season, he's right up there with uh, a few names. Uh, others being LaShawn McCoy, who's probably has the most pressure to show that uh, that he belongs with this roster in particular. I think Trent Murphy's in that equation. Levi Wallace is up there, the re- young receivers that we talked about. But Dawkins is in a spot where, okay, this is no longer a time where you can just be ordinary and just continue to be a starting player just because you were a draft pick. No, you have to earn it at this point because you haven't done otherwise in your first two seasons and you've regressed a little bit from from your first season to your second season. So he's this is a very delicate time for his career. And the Bills know that, or they should know that, and they need to act accordingly by getting him some reps a little bit of everywhere just to see if that can be a better solution. It would. It is, as Richie Incognito would call it, nut-cutting time. You love that phrase? Deion Dawkins. And you would love it I if think, we named the podcast that, <laughs> nut-cutting time. I think it is the—I think he has more pressure on him than any player on the roster, quite frankly, because— More than McCoy? I think so, because LaShawn McCoy is making plenty of money, and if he gets cut, you know, the he's going to get picked up somewhere. Uh, I mean— the only pressure really on McCoy, I, I don't even know that he'd be all that bummed out to, you know, get cut or traded, you know, I, mm-hmm. because I I honestly think there were times where he was hoping for that result uh, over the last couple of years. But if he were to get cut, you know, it's not like his career's at a huge crossroads, whereas Deion Dawkins hasn't gotten to his second contract. He's not sure if this spot that he's held down for the last two years is his anymore. He might have to switch positions. There is a whole bunch of experienced talent on the offensive line now that wasn't there before. And last year, you know, you had told Deion Dawkins, oh, that you might have to kick inside the guard. He'd be like, well, there's plenty of open spots there. Mm-hmm. This year it's, you know, maybe not. And so, yeah, they've been as critical of Deion Dawkins publicly and obviously not outright necessarily at times outright but not super outright they're just not going out of their way to um to shield him from the criticism from the questions they they play right into after the, questions. the season they pretty much said that you know they expected more out of him mm-hmm. and so out of you know the three or two plus years now that sean mcdermott's been here and same for you know almost two years of Brandon Bean. When have we heard that type of criticism about any player? Mm-hmm. Not too often, and so that's why I think he has more pressure on him than most because they'll probably still you know he'll. It's not like his roster spots in jeopardy the way maybe you know some of these other guys we mentioned are, but he runs the risk of just getting stuffed on the bench mm-hmm. and you know, running out the rest of his rookie contract that way. And, I mean, you saw what what happens to some of these guys. It's not like somebody's going to look and say, oh, man, in a couple of years if Deion Dawkins is just a backup and think that they can unearth some, you know, crazy gem necessarily, he might not get a huge second deal as we've seen, you know, guys like John Miller or Preston Brown not get – you know these huge, massive second contracts. So I'll tell you what, John Miller did a lot better. He than did I do. He, he did do better than I thought he would, and that's a a fair point. Um, but still, not the you know big time second mm-hmm. contract money that a lot of these guys are after. So True. that's sort of what's hanging in the balance for a guy like Deion Dawkins, who you know after this year will be entering a contract year. So um, yeah, time to put up or shut up. Yeah, and it's not as though Dawkins was terrible the last two years. I thought he was better his rookie season than he was last year. But it's not as though he made any great strides, and he was making very rudimentary errors um, even as the season went along. Lots of pre-snap stuff, some holds, 
uh, just getting beat off the ball. I mean, th- these are these are things that he needs to correct. And I wonder if it's a matter of attention to detail and the preparation and everything like that, because there was somewhat of an allusion to that, if, if I'm not mistaken, from from the Bills. And even Deion Dawkins knows he needs to prepare a lot better this year because he has legitimate competition now. So it's not as though he was terrible. I think the bigger conversation is, is he really a left tackle? And if he's not, then they need to find it out now. And I think the reason for some optimism with Deion Dawkins is the fact that he did play well at guard in college. And perhaps... Now that this tackle thing is not really going all that smoothly, that if they move him in, then there might be some enlightenment in his head where he's like, "All right, I'm back home inside. I, I know I can. I know I can win at this position." And just a matter of going out and doing it. He, his body type is probably better as a guard than it is a tackle, um, but you know, a lot. He's got a lot of mass, and uh, I think he might be best suited to be working against some bigger defenders against bull rush because I'm not sure if he's really built to deal with speed. But that said, he's done okay at tackle, but you want better than okay. And if you can get above average to good at guard, you do it. And you don't look back because you need... He is one of your first substantial draft picks of this regime. And... Both he and Zay Jones are running the risk this season of being busts. And the Bills can't have that. They need to salvage something out of both of those players. And if one of them ends up being a bust, so be it. I mean, that happens. But if both of them do, then that's a a big criticism on not only Sean McDermott, but it's a big criticism on ownership for not rectifying the GM situation ahead of that draft way before they, they even got they got to the selection process. So it, they, they, need, they need one of those two to flip around and become a good thing for them in 2019. Yeah, they, you don't get to blame Doug Whaley for that draft. No. So Even though he wants to take credit for it. Right, he's, he'll be towing a fine line if yeah, he wants to take credit for it. And then You're welcome. If they bust, <laughs> then it'll be like, hey, Doug. What about that parting gift? But uh, well, I didn't say it was a good parting gift. But I think more <laughs> so than uh, you know, Sean McDermott, the drafter, because you don't really need to worry about that going forward. Yeah, definitely not. Probably, you know, you're right. You know, ownership should have had that situation squared away. They dragged their feet, and as a result, um, you know, this is what what you get. Now, it's, not, it's still not a terrible draft class, even if those two guys bust, because you got Tre'Davious White. Um, who looks like a a star and Matt Milano mm-hmm. certainly helps boost that class as well. But probably the bigger concern would be from a developmental standpoint, you know, because you have to look at some point and say, you know, what's their track record and success rate at developing talent? And by they, I mean, you know, Sean McDermott and his coaching staff and, we don't really have a clear answer to that right now. Especially on offense. On defense, we do. On offense, not so much. On defense, we have somewhat of an answer. Tredavious White is really good, but is he was he just really good? He was really good seemingly the day he stepped on the field. Uh, but, True. you know, they give them some credit for that. Give them some credit for Matt Milano. They need a lot of credit needed, for Matt Milano. Matt Milano needed a lot of work, um, and, you know, Bobby Babich deserves... Uh, or Bob Babbage, I mm-hmm. guess, yes. uh, not his son, deserves you know some credit for that. I think Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, uh, you know Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, and and the like deserve credit for finding a role and putting them in a position to be the best versions of themselves that they've been in their entire career. Those are are the success stories right now. I think you know the we'll see what happens with. Tremaine Edmonds and Levi Wallace and Harrison Phillips, uh, you know, Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver, obviously, <laughs> uh, Trent Murphy hasn't been anything special. Shaq Lawson, I don't think has necessarily turned some sort of corner. So yeah, they've got a few hits, not too many misses on the defensive side of the ball yet, but it's so early. And then on offense, it, 
not been very good, quite frankly. And they're bordering on having a few misses. And, um, you know, Deion Dawkins and Zay Jones. Robert Foster looks like a maybe success story. Josh Allen's obviously the big one that everybody will be watching. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that is a legitimate question, I think. Not, Not a criticism yet, just a question, an unknown about this staff and you know, their ability to develop talent. I don't think there's any doubt about Sean McDermott's ability to motivate. I don't think there's a whole lot of doubt about his ability to, you know, get the most out of guys on Sunday, but developing talent, putting guys in the right positions to succeed on both sides of the football is something that there's only been a couple of draft classes. This is the third to where, you start to see it in totality. And it's important to remember that even a couple of good players in each draft is a good thing. It's not a bad draft. You know, the bad drafts are the ones where you don't have any long-term answers from that draft. So you're not going to hit on every pick. Not every pick is going to be a starter for you or develop long-term, but you would hope that two second-round picks mm-hmm. – would or at, at least, least at least one of them one. would would end up being decent and not go the way of you know some second round picks in the past. Well, a few things. One, I think um, the way Tremaine Edmonds ended his season, I think he is on the cusp of becoming a really good player in this defense. And does he have some things he needs to clean up? Absolutely. Um, he needs to become a better tackler as a bigger guy, but but still his. His body, his athleticism, the way he positions himself, he's, it, these are all really good things. Um, the other part of this uh, is because the defense, outside of Harrison Phillips being the substantial draft piece that hasn't really come to fruition just yet, um, the offense, we have yet to see a single hit um, from this regime. Whether And you ran it down. Dawkins, Zay Jones, Josh Allen, uh and now we have to find out about Dawson Knox, Cody Ford, uh, Robert Foster gets gets thrown into this. Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary now. And, you know, Knox, Singletary, and Ford, they haven't taken a rep just yet. But their development and their quick development is going to be crucial to this uh, to this rebuild and getting to that getting this team to a point in which they're contending for the playoffs each and every year. So they they need to prove as an offensive staff, as a staff in totality, that they can bring along offensive players because they it, it just hasn't happened yet. Josh Allen showed some really good signs last year. Robert Foster showed some signs of life. Zay Jones showed signs of improvement in the second half of the season. But what's Deion Dawkins doing And besides regressing and wondering whether or not they're, they're going to have to push him inside to guard? That's going to be one of the biggest questions about this staff in general because... The general notion around today's NFL is that you want your head coach to be the offensive guy and because that's how you're going to win in the NFL. And if because if you have a defensive-minded head coach that's going to be depending on the offensive coordinator and your team does well, odds are your offensive coordinator is getting plucked to be a head coach somewhere else. So because you don't have that offensive mind as the one developing the talent first and foremost— does do you lose something in the sense that now Zay Jones and Deion Dawkins are in the, with their second offensive coordinator? Was that part of their failure? So there's a there's a lot of ways to kind of slice this, but really they just need something to hit, and they need Josh Allen first and foremost, but they need those secondary pieces to to hit as well to call this truly a successful rebuild. I mean, you can have as many good defender defenders as you want. But unless you have some offensive players come through for you in the draft, then you're just kind of spinning your wheels a little bit. Well, I also think on top of developing the drafted talent, there needs to be a understanding of how to use the talent that Brandon Bean brought in in free agency. Not to say that he brought in the dream team or anything, but getting something out of John Brown and Cole Beasley the way you did Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer would be a feather in the cap of Brian Dable. Uh, same goes for this offensive line. I don't think that 
you know, the lack of talent excuse is going to hold any water Mm-mm. for Bobby Johnson here. You know, you need to get something out of that group and help them come together quickly because, you know, in terms of talent, that unit got more of an upgrade, I think, than any this offseason outside of really, I, I don't think it's, I don't think there is an, unless you want to say specific positions, then three technique probably got a pretty big boost, but Mm -hmm. you know, as a group, as a positional unit, the offensive line got the biggest influx of talent out of any. And it's not, again, not to say that these guys are all pro bowlers or that, you know, any of them are going to be wearing gold jackets. Uh, but at the same time, there's enough veteran talent there, enough experience. Now two second round draft picks, a big money center, you should be able to fit all those pieces together and have a productive offensive line that can open lanes in the running game and keep Josh Allen on his feet. And so that's, you know, another thing that I think we'll learn as the season goes on is, you know, A, you know, there's so much that goes into whether free agent signings or draft picks are successful. And it's always hard to figure out the formula of how much is coaching, how much is that player, how much is, you know, it poor decision-making uh, if a guy goes wrong from the GM. So, but to me, the coaching staff now has a bit more pressure on it because mm-hmm. last year, not to say it was easy, I'm sure it was pretty miserable showing up on Mondays and watching what happened on Sundays and trying to figure out how you're going to turn that lack of talent into something resembling an NFL offense on Sundays. But it was low pressure. Mm-hmm. Now there's more pressure because you actually have some talent to work with and results will be expected to follow. No doubt. Um, so it all gets started with rookie minicamp uh, next week on Friday, which I believe is Friday, May 10th. Um, and so, yeah, that, that'll be fun. Uh, next time that uh, we'll reconvene for a podcast. We'll be just a little bit before um, that, uh, uh, that. Hey, you know what? Let's let's do it on the day of rookie meeting camp. And I think that's probably better. See how these guys look and our first impressions of, of the rookies because we'll be able to get to watch the entire practice. Won't be too much behind the rookie practice, but still, um, observations nonetheless. So the next time we'll record will be next week on Friday. Um, but before we bid you adieu, we have the simple business at hand to give away some jerseys from the schedule contest that we have. And if if you were wondering, we had to uh, cut the competition after the leaks came out. But good on everybody for trying to still enter the competition after the leaks were coming out. So in total, we had 11 different uh, entrants, say Cincinnati, for the first home game. And eight participants said the Jets as the away game. So, live here on the pod, we will be drawing who uh, wins a jersey. Now, there are two. The well, jersey- we also have to figure out which jerseys, right? Oh, you're going to pick out a bag. That's why I brought the bag over. Uh, you'll hear the ruffling uh, paper of the Whole Foods bag that uh, all the jerseys are stashed in. And once again, thank you to friend of the pod, at Buffalo Wins um, on Twitter. So if you he are... Works to call him Joe. Yeah. Not, but you should follow happen. him at Buffalo Wins. He's really been making a concerted effort these days to boost his brand by tweeting a lot about Game of Thrones. <laughs> and so makes for a great follow Absolutely. because of that. Absolutely. Oh, strictly because of that. So the first one we will give away will be um, for guessing the home game, the first home game correctly, which was Cincinnati. 11 contestants. I have put it on a random wheel to side uh, online. And uh, Matthew Fairburn, we will take it away here. That's the wheel spinning. And the winner is at M Martin 825. Uh, at M Martin 825. And he. I thought there was a chance of this. There were two people that picked both correctly before the leak started coming out, which was very impressive. Um, M. Martin, not one of them. So, uh, so yes, M. Martin, 825, and he will be receiving the jersey, which is... Oh, yeah. Dig deep down into that. 
Ooh. What's the, the newer one? It looks like. Actually, maybe not. It might be one of those throwbacks. What do you have for us, Matt? Ooh, it is. Nate Clements. Nate Clements goes off the board to... Uh, 2001 first-round pick? Yes. Uh, well, I don't know if, if the year is correct, but it was a first-round pick out of Ohio State. Fritz is very excited over seeing the, the jersey being selected. Um, he, he wants to very much see what will be picked next. But So M. Martin, 825, congratulations on your Nate Clements jersey. Um, I will be DMing these, uh, these fine winners after a few days just to give them the celebration that is winning the competition by by listening to the pod but yes congratulations nonetheless now for the jets uh for getting the jets correct the wheel is spinning and the winner at matt view 72 who is one of the two people that picked both the Bengals and the jets game so he, he doubled up it. his chances he earned it matt view 72 Congratulations on the jersey. What will you receive? Into the Whole Foods bag we go. Typical Joe from Buffalo wins being a Whole Foods guy. Yeah. Uh, Little known fact about ain't that. Ain't that... Oh, this might be a good one. Oh, uh, that's a quality. Paul Pazlozny. Paul Pazlozny goes to at MattView72. So we've got a Nate Clements jersey, a Paul Pazlozny jersey, and still more jerseys in the bag. So make sure to keep on listening to us throughout the offseason as we continue to give those bad boys away. Again, thank you for everyone for participating in the schedule contest. Uh, thank you to uh, Joe from uh, NYC at Buffalo Winds for donating the jerseys to the Bills Beat Cause. And uh, we'll be sure to give some more of these bad boys out as we go along. So thanks, everyone, for listening to this edition of the podcast. For Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscaglia. We will talk to you after Rookie Minicamp next Friday. See you then.